Hey everyone, I'm Josh and I'm the Gatherings Director here at the River Church. And thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. And one easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97,000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, hello again. All right. Um, back again. I'm filling in for Pastor Chuck this morning while he is up at our men's retreat. So all the guys are up there. Uh, and I would love to be up there with them, but also I'm super excited and just love to have the opportunity to just be here with you guys this morning and to open up God's Word and just to see what he has for us. So I know a couple weeks ago I filled in again. I got to intro Revelation and some of you guys I heard got upset at me because I came in and said, hey, summer is here and the next day it snowed, all right? So I heard some backlash from that. Uh, I was just joking. I knew it was going to snow that day, all right? But I'm here to tell you today, all right, that it's going to snow tomorrow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, all right? Some of you guys are like, no, please don't tell me, all right? No, we got some real 60s and 70s weather coming on, all right? It is some spring and summer weather, so real excited about that. Um, But no, we're just going to be continuing through our Revelation, revelation, not Revolution, Revelation series. So if you have your Bibles, you guys can go to Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 2. It's the last book in the Bible, um, so you can head there. We're going to be continuing through that. We've had a great couple of weeks going over the first bit of Revelation. Um, We've seen, you know, Jesus, he says he will return. And we see this, and when he returns, he will be in his full glory, all right? Not in the way that we see him earlier on in the New Testament, where we see he's a humble servant um, coming to die on the cross. But he is going to return in his fullness of his glory. And then we saw the past two weeks, we went through, uh, he says he has seven letters for the seven churches. And we're going to be going through those for the next couple weeks. We're on letter three today, but we saw for the first two weeks after that, we saw the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna. We see that Jesus... Um, says the church of Ephesus, they were doing a lot of things well. He commended them for staying faithful in their doctrine. But then he says, I have this against you. You know, you've lost your first love. All right, he says, even though you are doing well, even though you have your doctrine is good, you have lost your first love. And he really rebukes the church to be able to do that um, and go back to having their first love in Christ and everything that they're doing, making sure that everything is right in that way. And then we saw last week, we looked at the church in Smyrna, and we see this church was doing very well. All right, Jesus uh, commended them for everything. He doesn't even rebuke them. He says, you know, to be encouraged and to continue on to be faithful through all the persecution that they were facing. All right, and he says, continue to be faithful, continue to press on. And then this week, we're going to look at the third letter. We're going to look at the church of Pergamum, all right? So let's just read that. We'll read that section, and then we'll pray, and we'll really dive in. So uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. 
If not, I will come to you soon and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except for the one who receives it. So let's pray, and uh, we'll kind of break down everything this says this morning, all right? Uh, Lord, we just thank you again so much for the opportunity to be able to gather together as the church this morning. I pray over these next couple of minutes, God, that you would just give me the words to speak, um, that it'd be from you and that I would not get in the way. And I just pray that you would uh, help open up our hearts and prepare our hearts to hear uh, your truth and what you have for us and, God, what the thing uh, that you are calling us to do. I just pray that in everything we do is always to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Pergamum here, and if we go and start off in verse 12, so we're going to kind of go through it and kind of break down each thing, everything that's going on, and we see it says to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So if we look back in chapter 1, and we see Jesus being described in his full glory, one of the things is it describes Jesus with having a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. All right. Now, we talked about this before. This isn't like a literal sword coming out of his mouth, but we also see uh, correlations in the Word of God that says, like in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We saw this. We see how the Word of God all right, is sharper than any two-edged sword, is like that sword that we see. And then also we see... Uh, it can be correlated to judgment as well. So we see the things, the words of God, are is that, and then also words of judgment. And we're going to see, as we read kind of before, we see that Jesus calls these things. Otherwise, he's going to come and have war against, with the sword of his mouth against these people, if they do not repent from what they were doing. So as we continue to go on, and we see through the different letters through the churches, right? Um, we see different things that are happening in all these different churches. Some of them receive uh, commendation from Jesus, Jesus commending them for what they're doing well. And then we also see some encouragement in some of those things. And then we also see a rebuke, all right? Um, Jesus rebuking uh, the church for things they were doing wrong, or you could say disciplining. And a lot of times we could look at this, and, you know, we can look at discipline as a wrong thing, all right? When it means that they were doing something wrong, but when we receive uh, rebuke or discipline from the Lord and we listen to it, that is a good thing, all right? And we see at the end of the letter, too, where, uh, you know, we see some of the blessings that we see if we are to listen to that and repent of what was going wrong and we listen to the discipline of the Lord. That is a good thing when we listen and submit ourselves to his authority. So we see at the beginning, though, we're going to go through first what Jesus says that they are doing well, all right? And we're going to go through in verse 13. It says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So you look at this, we see where the church of Pergamum is, and we look at this and it's kind of interesting. You see these two phrases, where Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells, all right? And this doesn't mean like in that church, but we see if we look at Pergamum, Pergamum was a place that was filled with idol worship, filled with uh, false worship, false teaching, idolatry, moral corruption, all right, just filled with wickedness, all right? This place was filled with this. So we see, as it's said here, you know, the place where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwells, we see a lot of corrupt 
activity going on around the church of Pergamum and the whole city. We see it was really a center of this thing and people just worshiping all of these other things besides the Lord. All right? And it's really just one of the worst places that you could really be. All right? Think about it in a sense of like buying a home in like the worst possible neighborhood that you could think of. This is kind of the area that they were in. All right? Not just like bad, but just like moral corruption everywhere. So, but even though all this false worship, all this false uh, idol worship, all this false teaching, all this is going on, Jesus commends them that they have kept their faith, all right? You have hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed amongst you. So we see uh, they are continuing to be faithful, even with all this going on, and even we see this person named Antipas, this would have been, you know, a faithful witness, uh, a faithful leader, a faithful brother, all right, who had been killed for being faithful to the gospel, all right? So we see with all this going on, Jesus commends the church for continuing to stay faithful, and even in the days of the faithful witness being killed among you um, for being faithful. We see this, and, you know, I always imagined, you know, just, it's always interesting looking at these stories of uh, people who have you know, died as a martyr and died being faithful. And it's always interesting to see the people around them, too. Because I I imagine it would be so hard to lose, you know, a leader who is being faithful, who someone who is a faithful witness to the word of God and to lose them. But so often do you see through these stories throughout history and these stories throughout time that we see as a group of believers, we are often encouraged and strengthened by seeing seeing other people being faithful even to the point of death. And we saw that last week in the Church of Smyrna, continuing to be encouraged through all their persecution and all of those things. And we see again here more persecution that's going on, even in Antipas, who was killed for being faithful. So we see these things. And something else that just kind of read between the lines that I like that kind of happens here in Pergamum is even though this area that Pergamum was in, the church stayed there, all right? Now, I think this is something that we can kind of take and look at. As Christians, as believers, we are called to be the light of the world, all right? We are called to be in the world. Now, very carefully, we need to make sure that we are not being a part of the world in a sense of like listening to the world is saying, and then we're going to get more into that too, but we are called to be lights of the world and not go and like create our own communities, all right, of Christians and not inter- like see the world and not show the light of the world to them at all and not speak to them. Instead, we are called to be everywhere in the world and to show Christ in everywhere that we're at, all right? It would, it's just not what we're called to do is to like all go move to one place once you're a Christian and all be together and never speak to anybody outside the world or anybody or anything like that, all right? But instead, we see that they stay there We're called to make an impact in all of our communities and all of those things and called to be the light of the world, which we see in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, all right? And it says in verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, in verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, you know, just something that I saw in a, it's always stuck out to me like in that, you know, we are called to do that and be that to the world. But we see Jesus commends them for being faithful in an area that was so filled with false worship, all right, idolatry, moral corruption. So there's their Jesus being commended to them. But then we see a rebuke happen, all right? 
So let's go into these next couple verses in Revelation 2, and it says in verse 14, But I have a few things against you. You have, you have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block uh, before the sons of Israel, so that they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So we see two things that's going on here. So we see a group that's been faithful in everything going around them. However, we do see that Jesus says, some of you, all right? So he doesn't say the whole church, but he says, some of you are holding to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, all right? This is very important to look at what that is, and we're going to get some context here, but very broadly saying, all right, what's going on is there's some of you who are listening to false teaching, all right? listening to false teaching that is allowing to seep into your life. And we see the church mixing themselves with false teaching, false worship, and letting corruption come into their lives, all right? And it's very important to see that. Now, remember, as we read through uh, Revelation, all right, as we read through these seven letters, I really like how Chuck uh, pointed out, read these as we're reading them to ourselves as well. All right? We're not reading them just to the Church of Pergamum, but also read it in the context of reading it to ourselves. And as we read these next couple of things, I pray that these would challenge us as it's challenged me in my own life as I've studied this as well. But we see you know, these people who have allowed some false teachings all right, into their life, into their beliefs, and allowed that to shape what they were doing all right, and to shape what they're believing and allowing that to corrupt themselves. And if we look at what you know, Balaam and the Nicolaitans were teaching... If we go back to Balaam, he is a non, we see him in the Old Testament, he's a non-Israelite prophet. We see him back in Numbers, and then we see him a couple times get brought up in the New Testament. And every time that he's brought up in the New Testament, it's always in a fall, or a warning for false teachers, okay? Um, so that's very important to know that. And then we see Balak here is the king of Moab who was an enemy to Israel, all right? And we see the context back in Numbers is King Balak, he wanted to stop and curse the Israelites, all right? He wanted to stop and to curse them, and he wanted to, you know, destroy them. So he and Balaam got together. He tried to hire Balaam to do a curse onto the Israelites, all right? As, you know, Balaam was a non-Israelite prophet at this time, he tries to be like, hey, I'll pay you to curse the Israelites, all right, so that then I can defeat them. And Balaam's like, well, I, I can't do that. So instead he came up with this different plan to stop the Israelites, all right? Balaam told Balak, instead of trying to curse them like you would want, he knew that he could defeat Israel in a different way, all right? He said, instead, we are going to seduce the Israelites, all right, which would end up bringing curse from the Lord upon the Israelites instead. Like, I'm not able to do that, but I know if they break God's laws, then God's going to punish them and weaken them through that, and we'll be able to destroy them through that. So we see that through this, they ended up using Moabite and Midianite women to tempt the Israelites into sexual morality and into pagan rituals or idolatry, you could say as well, all right? Doing these things, that's where we see, you know, eating food that's sacrificed to idols, practicing sexual immorality. We see this start to happen, and we see that instead of them actually being able to curse them themselves, they come up with this plan instead to intermingle, to mix with the Israelites and to mix with their beliefs and to bring in this corruption into what they were doing. And this became a big problem to where the Israelites then began to practice sexual immorality, right, and began to practice this 
pagan rituals, which would be false worship, and ultimately breaking the laws that God had put in place for the Israelites. And this would cause God, as he had warned them, that he would judge them for their actions as well. So we see this, all this happening, and we see that in Pergamum, people are holding to some of that teaching, all right? And then we also see people are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and with them, very broadly too, like they are basically, some of the things that they would teach would kind of be like uh, the doctrine of like compromise, all right? Bringing things together, making compromise in everything that they're doing, not standing firm in anything. So they would always kind of be like, you know, it's, like, it's okay to compromise on doctrine, all right? It's okay to compromise on all these things as a church, and specifically when it came to sin a lot of times too, how it'd be like, you know, no big deal to continue in sin. And they would be like, you know, oh, you know, that's, they might say it's a big deal. It's not that as a big deal. Let's just continue in these things. And they would mix beliefs, mix all of these things together. So we could see how this become a problem, right? We see how it was a problem for the Israelites in the Old Testament. And we see that God did judge them for that. And we see that did cause a, a lot of hurt through that. We see ultimately a plague was because of this, all right, that God caused a plague upon the Israelites to happen out of this. And then we see here in the church of Pergamum them starting to hold to some of these teachings and allowing some of these things to change what was going on inside of some of their hearts. So it's really important to look at as they're surrounded by all this false worship and teaching, all right, and idolatry and moral corruption. They continued as a church to stay faithful. However, we do see some in the church that have mixed together their beliefs on certain things, all right? Some have listened, like we said, false teaching and allowed it to take root in their own life, all right? Some have mixed sound doctrine with corrupt teaching, corrupt doctrine, and some, you know, they'd mixed together true worship with false idols, and they had bent a line, you know, when it came to sin and allowed moral corruption to happen amongst themselves. And we see some of those things being sexual immorality as well. And this has just become a huge problem, all right? Whenever you mix something that is pure and unpure, it makes whatever is pure unpure, you know? It makes good and bad. It's always not going to be good when you bring those things together, all right? You think about, you know, some of you I know are, they, you like to cook or to bake or something like that. You mix something with like the wrong ingredient and it's going to kind of ruin what you're making, all right? Or, you know, I remember like uh, when I was younger, we would love to, as teenagers, we'd always love to like pour a bunch of salt in each other's drinks, you know? And we do it at summer camp all the time still with the students and they get me and I'm like, you suck. Um, but like, you know, you put a bunch of salt into a drink and that drink is now terrible or it ruins like a pop and man, we're probably like the worst to like going to restaurants, we'd probably be asking for like 10 different drinks every five minutes because we'd just be ruining them. But like you put something bad into something good and it just ruins what, was, what you were having, right? And like uh, I laugh at my wife. So she knows I'm a picky eater and she really hates that about me. So she'll like make things for dinner and she'll purposely not tell me everything that's in it to see if I will notice, all right? So she'll... One of the things lately is like uh, Worcestershire sauce, all right? I, I hate that sauce. It literally sounds like the worst, all right, is how I think of it. So that's my joke with him. Like, I just don't like it. And so she's tried to sneak that into a couple uh, meals that's had like that in like the meal planning and stuff like that. And I can, I always end up finding out, like I'll be eating it and I'm like, man, it's okay, but what is that taste? Like, and I can just pinpoint it. I'm like, I know this certain taste. I don't like it. What is it? And then she's like, well, I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know what you're talking about at all. 
My wife is a terrible liar, so I always know when she's lying. But, you know, it's just, to me, like, it, it ruins what's being made. And I'm like, man, it would be so much better without this. Um, but I joke with her. It's, she's always great at cooking. I, I love eating the whatever she's making. But I always laugh when she tries to sneak those things in, and I find out, and I'm like, I got you, all right? Um, but back to what we were saying, though. Like, when we mix good and bad, it really ruins, you know, what was good. And when we mix our beliefs and standards that are not from the Lord with things from the Lord, we begin to corrupt our worship, all right? And we cannot allow ourselves as church, as people, to mix these things together. We cannot mix the things that the world is telling us with the things that God has said. We cannot mix those things together. When we do start to listen to other teaching, we start to rely on those other things, we start to rely on our own thoughts instead of the Word of God alone, we start to put ourselves above what he has said, all right? And we disregard the things that we had said, and we start to put ourselves above his truth and his word. And instead, we allow these things to really make everything wrong and corrupt in our lives. And this is what we see is a problem with the church in Pergamon. We see that some had started to mix their beliefs and their truth, all right, with things that were false and corrupt. And we see this in today's world all the time. We really see it throughout all of history, all right? I know a lot of people a lot of times would be like, man, the world's so bad today, and all these things are going so wrong. And I'm like, just look throughout history. Look throughout the Bible. Look throughout the Old Testament. Like, sin has always been a problem, guys. But we look at just all of these things that we see throughout time, things that we have allowed corruption into our lives, but specifically I'm saying in the context of you know, believers in the church allowing compromise and bending on what is right or wrong, bending what the word of God says to allow certain sin, you know, or describe what is sin, what isn't sin. And it can boil down to a couple different things like uh, moral compromise, all right? We see the church so often compromising on morals. And some of those things regard to sexual immorality, like we see here in this passage, you know, to whether that's so many different things. We can see People who claim to be believers, you know, saying things like, you know, sex before marriage isn't that bad. It's not a big deal, all right? Where we see, you know, sex is a beautiful gift from God in the context of marriage, all right? Through that blessing we can have through marriage. But we see instead people are like, you know, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, we can see people in the church, you know, saying, you know what? I know, you know, porn isn't that big of a deal. I'm just going to kind of allow it in my life. It's not that big of a deal. All right? Like it's something that's going on. It's just kind of hidden, like it's not that big of a deal. And we see these things kind of start to corrupt the way we're thinking. And we also see like the church start to bend, you know, on things like homosexuality. Or, you know, we see a lot in today's world exploring sexuality in a lot of different ways. And we can see the church starting to bend on some of these lines rather than what the Word of God has said. And we can see in our own lives, you know, bending and, you know, kind of what do I think is right or wrong? What it, but it's like, no, we should be looking at what does, you know, the word of God say is right or wrong is what we should be doing. And always looking at every thought and every belief that we have and holding it captive to the truth, to the word of God, all right? Because if we ever think something is right, but it's not what the word of God says, then we're, we are in the wrong place. We are in the wrong spot and we need to move to what the word of God says, all right? The word of truth. And we see... Other things that we get ourselves caught up on too, like in worldliness, right? We see as believers that we start to care more about our, you know, material and earthly possessions. 
We start to allow all these other things to become more important in our lives as well. We allow entertainment and pleasure above anything else as believers. We allow these things into our lives so often. We see doctrinal compromise, you know. This is something we see a lot to where people alter what the Bible says or put it into their own words or thinking of what it actually says. And normally that always means to justify your sin. You know, anytime that we start to warp what the Word of God says to try to justify something in our lives, we need to take a big step back and be like, whoa, I'm literally trying to warp the Word of God to say what I can do. And that, we find ourselves in a really bad spot to where we are twisting, all right, and intermingling thoughts together. And it's, it's a very big deal, and we've got to make sure that we are not doing that. And also another thing we can see is like, you know, cultural or political compromise to where we find ourselves as believers aligning ourselves too closely with cultural or political movements. And these are just a lot of different examples that we find today, all right? And there's so many others that we could say that we start to go and stand in another thing rather than standing on the word of God alone and allowing that to shape what we are thinking and doing. And there's so many other things that we could look at, but it's so important to always be looking at what the word of God says alone and making sure we are not corrupting that in any way. Because we got to know two things. We have to know that there is false teachers out there. They're constantly going to be trying to warp what we are saying. The world is constantly going to be trying to warp what we are thinking, all right, and what we are following. And then we know that we have an enemy who is constantly trying to devour us, constantly trying to destroy us and look at what we are doing. So let's go to 1 Peter 5 for a quick second. And it says, be sober-minded, all right, chapter 5, verse 8, in First Peter, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So this is so important as we're talking about, you know, what are you listening to? What are you allowing shape your life? What are you allowing, you know, change your heart? Are you listening to the things of the world? Are you listening to the word of God alone, his truth? Because if we look at this, it says, be sober-minded, have a clear mind in everything that we're doing, and be watchful. I love that it says this kind of subtly there. Be watchful. Always be on guard, all right? Because the moment we let our guard down, it says, we have an adversary who is the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I've always looked at lions as really powerful creatures in general, and you think of a lion prowling, you're like, I don't want to be around that, all right? But about a year ago, uh, my wife and I, we took our daughters to the zoo up by Frankenmuth. I don't remember what it's called. But like, you go to like the Detroit Zoo, and you see the lions, and they always feel like so far away. You never really feel that close to them or anything. There's like, you know, you got your fence, you got like the moat, you got the glass. Like there's just, you feel so far away. But at this like zoo up by Frankenmuth, I kid you not, like it's like you got the wooden fence and then there's like five feet and then there's like two chain link fences and then the line's like right there. Like you feel like you're 10 feet away from this lion. It's right up by the fence as we're walking by and, you know, Amelia's all like, oh, this is so cool. Look at the lion. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like it's just sitting there and it looks like right at us and it's just like starts doing this like low growl. And it was like, honestly, one of the coolest things I've ever experienced and one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced at the same time. All right. But like, I remember sitting there and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm terrified right now. And it was like crazy because you think about it like as a lion, like it was quiet in a sense, but like it was still so loud. 
Like, I could not imagine, like, hearing a roaring lion near me that close at all. Like, it'd be just absolutely terrifying. But it's just like, I mean, it went on for, like, 30 seconds to a minute to where it's just looking right at us, like, and just, like, having this low kind of, like, growl noise at us. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I haven't moved at all. I'm just staring at him, like, oh, my gosh, I can't move. And, like, Amelia starts crying, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go, guys. Let's go. But, like, since then, like, I've looked at, like, a passage like this so much differently. Like, I've always known such powerful creatures, but, like, I remember just being, like, within a couple feet. And, like, even though I knew there was these barriers, like, it was terrifying. But we look at this and we see our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we see all throughout this, we see, you know, all throughout the world, things that are constantly going to be trying to throw in us, changing the things that we do and think, allowing other teachings and the world's teachings and all of these things. And we got to be very careful, being sober-minded, being watchful. And then it says to resist him in verse 9, firm in your faith, all right, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we must remain uh, firm, resist him. All right, stay firm in our faith, knowing that we have to always be on guard and looking in our own lives to make sure we are not mixing the truth of God with the lies of the world and false teaching. And we also got to be very careful of ourselves, all right? Very careful of what we're listening to, but also very careful to ourselves as well. If we go to Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we look at another teaching that the world will tell us, you know, follow your heart, you know. When everything you don't know what to do, just follow your heart is what the world will tell us, right? It's false. If we look at what the Bible says, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And man, do I understand this verse because I, I know myself and I'm like, man, I know I am a wretched sinner and I know like beyond you know, the word of God working in my life, I'm an absolute wreck and I cannot trust myself to make the right decision in my life. And I look at this and I'm like, man, the heart is deceitful just above all things and desperately sick. And we cannot trust ourselves, but instead we must remain firm in our faith alone and looking at the word of truth in our lives at all times and constantly be submitting ourselves to that because we are, we're sinners by nature. All right? We are constantly going to still be choosing sin in our lives, but we have to remain firm in his word and his truth alone. Let's go back to Revelation 2. We're going to go to verse 16. So we see Jesus kind of say, I have these things against you. You've been listening to some of these teachings. You've been allowing some of these things into your life. You've been allowing you know, this mixture of beliefs, this mixture of teachings, this mixture of allowing sin, allowing sexual immorality in and not making a big deal about it. Now, very important to look at this too, and not to just be in like some of the things we listed to necessarily just be like legalistic about all those things and being like, you know, a checkbox or something like that. But very important to make sure that we are looking at the intentions of our heart, all right? And as a church, that we are looking as the intentions to worship the Lord through our hearts and our actions and not just making sure that we are being legalistic with one another. But let's continue. We're going to go and see what Jesus is saying. And it's kind of his warning, all right? So he says, I have these things against you. You've listened to these things. You've let some of those in. And he says in verse 16, therefore, repent, all right? Repent means to turn from and to turn to, all 
All right? In context of the Bible, we see the word repentance a lot. It means to turn from whatever you are doing and to fully turn from that and turn to the Lord. All right? Give it to the Lord, fully turn to him, and give everything you have to him. Kind of do a 180, and it says, therefore, repent. All right? from, repent from all of this. And he says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And we see Jesus says, repent or I will come soon. Turn to the one who is truth and surrender all. He says, if we do not repent, we will face the judgment of him. We will face the judgment of Christ, all right? This is a call for all of us as believers, all of us as the church, for our own personal lives, but also as a church to make sure that we are calling ourselves to repentance and always turning to him through this. And we see in verse 17, kind of the ending here, And we see in verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I got to admit, I've laughed the past like two weeks that I've heard Chuck uh, preach, He who has an ear. And I remember looking at my wife last week, and we both just kind of laughed because if you don't know about me, I'm completely deaf in one ear, can't hear out of one. So I'm like, oh, hey, notice he says, uh, He who has an ear, not ears. Stupid, I know, I know. All right. Um, no, this is written to all of us. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, all right? So something before getting into the last thing, we see, let him hear what the Spirit says, all right? So, you know, if we have an ear, let's make sure we are hearing what the Word of God says, allowing the Spirit to speak into our lives, opening up our hearts to him and hearing what he has for us. And being led by the Spirit is such an important thing as a believer, and we see through every single one of those letters, we're going to see this phrase, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So it's so important, you know, we kind of talked about reading every letter as reading in the context of ourselves as well. Let us hear what he says. And I kind of thought as one other verse too that kind of correlated with this passage and specifically like with verse 17. I want to go to Romans 12, 1, 2 for a second. Uh, some of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. So we see as we're going through all these things, kind of looking, you know, listening to the Spirit and what the Spirit has for us, but also, you know, trying to make sure we are not mixing things and making sure that we are listening to the Word of God says alone and not to ourselves. And it says, I appeal, therefore, to you, brothers, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. All right? We are called to as believers to live as a living sacrifice to God, all right? and that's our spiritual worship. And if you think about sacrifices to God, those are things that are called to be holy and acceptable. All right? And this is what we see as our spiritual worship. All right? We are called to give everything we have to him and surrendering it to him as a sacrifice. And in verse 2, this really goes along with being led by the Spirit. This really goes along to the passage of not intermingling or intermixing beliefs or things like that, or inter- intermixing on corruption and allowing sin into our lives. It says, do not be conformed to this world. All right? Don't do the things that the world is doing. Don't listen to the things that the world is teaching. Don't listen to the things that are trying to corrupt you and pull you away from the Lord, all right? But instead, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, all right? Be transformed. How are we transformed? 
by listening to what the Spirit says and by listening to what the Word of God says, all right? And this isn't just a one-time renewal of our mind. This is a constant renewal in our lives. This is a constant listening to what the Word of God says, all right? Submitting our lives to it. Remember we talked about, you know, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the heart and soul and to the intentions, all right, of our heart. We need to daily submit and be transformed to what the Word of God says, allowing it to transform what we are thinking and to transform our lives, all right? And it says, by doing that, we can, te- we can discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, all right? This is how we are called as people, as the church, as believers, to worship Him. And we see it really goes in context to what's going on here, to making sure that we are constantly making sure that we are being transformed. So let's finish up in Revelation 2.17. So we see again, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone, so that no one knows except the one who receives it. So we see two things kind of happen here. We see two kind of like uh, blessings, you could say, happen. It says, to the one who conquers, you know, the one who overcomes, those who are victorious in their faith, Jesus says, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, we look at manna in the Bible. We see in the Old Testament, we see the Israelites. uh, They were out in the wilderness, and they had no food. So God said, I will provide for you and give you manna. Manna was kind of like a bread-type food. It would fall from the sky and... They had to collect it every day and only eat like that day, all right? If they tried to store it up or anything like that, they couldn't, all right? It would go bad over a day and they couldn't store up over time because it caused them to fully rely on the Lord to provide for them on a daily basis in their life, all right? So if we look at Hinmana, we see this is something we cannot see, all right? If we look at manna in the Old Testament, could physically see it, could physically eat it, all right? But here is something we cannot see, all right? Hidden. We see this more as like a spiritual manna, all right? Something as a spiritual nourishment that only the Lord can provide, all right? Only he can provide because he is the true sustainer for those who are faithful to him. Constantly, we are to go to him for everything, to be the supplier for all of our needs, all of our spiritual needs, and he will do so. He is the sustainer of all, and his spiritual nourishment gives us guidance, gives us strength, gives us comfort, everything that we will ever possibly need. It says to the one who conquers, the one who is faithful, the one who is always doing these things, all right, who one does submit to me, I will give you this, all right? If you come to me, I will give that, all right? But we got to make sure that we're constantly going to him for that. And it says, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone so that no one knows except for the one who receives it. And this is one uh, we see, we're going to see a couple times through Revelation, you know, passages that kind of can be interpreted different ways. This is one of those that there's a couple different ways that scholars have interpreted it, but really they all point back to the same exact uh, truth out of it, all right? So it doesn't matter as much, but we see a different way, a couple different ways. This is um, one of the ways is like we see back in this time to where like a judge sometimes would use like a white or a black stone to symbolize if someone was innocent or guilty. Um, so we see that could be a correlation. We see, you know, the innocence and the purity that we find in Christ alone, right? So if we see, if we believe and trust in Jesus' sacrifice, we can be given a new stone. We can be made pure in Christ, all right? And that's how God sees us, is when we believe and trust, he sees Jesus' sacrifice. Another way that they often see it 
is we see a lot of times like in kind of like the the games and things like that were back then when you were victorious, you'd be given like a stone, a white stone in the city with a name to declare that you were victorious, to declare like the winner and things like that. So we see both of those things show um, one thing, like that we are victorious through Christ alone, all right? And that is only by him that we are made pure. And that is only by him because he is the one who is pure and he died on the cross to die for our sin, all right? If we believe and trust in him and his sacrifice, we can be pure. But I love also the point that says, with a new name written on it, all right? Showing the new creation that we are in him, but also that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is interesting because this, you really see a personal connection, all right? The only one who knows which name is written on it is the one who receives it. Between him and the Lord having this personal connection, this personal relationship. So we see kind of the end of here, the one who conquers, I will give you spiritual nourishment, everything you need to go in your life, everything you need to go to this world, all right, and to look and how to figure out right and wrong, how to listen to the word of God. And then also, I'm going to have that personal relationship with you. I've made you new, and I know you, and no one else can take that away from you. All right? No one else knows you the way that the Lord does. And it's so cool to be able to see that and just to see how incredible it is just to have those blessings and that promise, but also just that personal relationship with the Lord of all, the creator of everything. It's always just blows my mind that God himself wants to have a relationship with every single one of us. Um, like it constantly doesn't make sense in my mind. Like why would God want a relationship with me? I'm just one of the billions of people throughout history and yet he knows me, all right? It's so cool. And just to look at this and just to see these things, how Jesus, he's the sustainer of all, and he wants to supply us with every spiritual need we might have. And it's through him alone, all right, through Jesus Christ alone that we find, you know, to be sustained of everything, that we are found salvation in him alone, all right? Nothing that we can do. We are all sinners. We are in need of a savior, and the Bible says if we confess him as Lord and believe that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, we can be saved. And that's just an incredible thing to see that Jesus wants to sustain us through absolutely everything. One, to get us to be saved so that we can believe in him, but also as believers, he wants to sustain every single thing in our life as long as we come to him. And it says, you know, in him, he will guide us, he will strengthen us, he will comfort us throughout everything that the world's going to throw at us, all right? The world's constantly going to be trying to get you to intermingle your beliefs and thoughts and everything, trying to corrupt the things that we are doing, trying to corrupt us in sin, and trying to pull us away from the one who is true, the one who is faithful. And Jesus says, I want to be there for everything with you. I want to help you through all that. And we need to stay faithful to his word and making sure that we are always submitting ourselves to the word of God alone and remain firm in him alone and not waver on anything that is true in his word, all right? Making sure that we are constantly always looking what other people say, all right? What other teachers say, what other pastors say, what anybody says is always aligning with what the word of God says and not what we think or feel but always been doing, doing that. And it says, remember, to be diligent and to watch out for all of those things and to watch out for our own hearts as we choose what to listen to and that we can just continue to hold firm to his truth and alone. So I just pray as a challenge today, as we end, you know, that we are people that are only after him 
and want to worship him in every way that we possibly can in our lives, and that we are constantly going to him for everything as he is the supplier and the sustainer of all, and that we are looking to glorify him in every way and making sure that in our own lives as well, we are not allowing corrupt thoughts, corrupt teaching to corrupt you know, the true way to worship the Lord with everything that we have and to give everything to him. And I just pray that as a challenge to us. It was a challenge to me as I studied this passage. You know, look at my own life. How have I let things in my own life, you know, allowed certain things, allowed certain people to speak into my life, allowed the world to speak into my life? How have I allowed those things to take place? And how do I measure them up to what the word of God says in my life? And I just pray that the spirit is challenging you in your own life about that. And I pray that you would listen to it. So let's pray, and uh, we'll continue this morning. Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we are so thankful for how faithful you are and how great you are. Lord, I just pray as a people we would constantly be seeking you, that we'd be looking to you for truth in everything. God, as the world is trying to throw everything it has at us, God, that we'd be a people that would stay firm in your word and your truth alone. God, that we would be a light to the world around us and that we would show your great love and your great truth and the truth of the gospel to the whole world. Pray all the glory goes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.